Welcome to the Behavior Speak podcast. Now, here's your host, Ben Ryman. All right, welcome to another episode of the Behavior Speak podcast. Uh, I'm uh, especially honored today. This is uh, my first interview overseas uh, and a uh, very great pleasure to have Malashwane Maucho here from Botswana, uh, who may be the first uh, BCBA in Africa, which is pretty amazing. So thanks for being on the show, Malashwane. So awesome. So awesome. So uh, getting right into it. Um, Maybe you can tell us, we're talking before, and it sounds like your uh, journey in the ABA field has uh, uh, brought you to a lot of different places, including uh, North America. So maybe just tell us kind of how you got into the ABA field, why you got into the ABA field, and, and kind of tell us about your, your journey around the world. Awesome. Okay. Um, I first started in undergrad there. I was at Northeastern University in Boston. And there was a, um, I, just, I saw an ad on the post board, you know, in the psychology department for, you know, assistant behavior analyst training. Hmm. I thought, oh, that's great. That's interesting. Um, so I went for the talk and I found it quite interesting because it was very evidence-based. And I thought, yeah, well, that um, is most probably going to be easier <laughs> to do when I got back home to Botswana. Because even back then, I had planned on coming back home. And went for the talk and then started working with one child. And just like everybody else, fell in love with the little girl when she first said hi to me after Hmm. months and months. (laughs) And um, then I started my journey. And eventually, you know, I came back after I finished my undergraduate and realized and then did a bit of research to see what was available for um, people with disabilities, developmental disabilities, and realized that there was nobody who was actually helping that children in Botswana, like individuals with autism and developmental disabilities in Botswana. And before that, I had been doing, whenever I came home for the summer, for the U.S. summer, I would do a uh, internship at the UNICEF, and I was helping out uh, this guy, who is now our president, <laughs> um, uh, just doing, you know, whatever needed to be written down, I would be writing that out. And then I decided I was going to go back home, got a scholarship from Botswana, went back to Botswana, went back to the U.S. Um, Northeastern University, and did my master's um, in ABA. So, so sorry. So you were you were working for UNICEF, and you're working with a guy that's now the president of Botswana. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to clarify that. That's awesome. Okay. All right. Keep going. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I was volunteering there. Um, I, I didn't like sitting and doing idle and doing nothing. Yeah. So I, w- I would go there to volunteer, and he's now the president of the country. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah. So I, I did my master's uh, through Northeastern uh, University. The program was run by the May Institute and New England Center for Children. Mm. It's, it was a bit of a very intensive program at the time because it was uh, we were dealing with a lot of I support needs, complex needs kids with uh, a lot of behavioral problems, uh, well, challenges, should I put it? And then from Boston, I did a stint in New York where I worked in Brooklyn in a, 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 a very a privileged, uh, like a, a private uh, Hasidic Jewish uh, school. I think there was about oh, 30 wow. students. Yeah. Um, it was an eclectic approach. And I got to go to a conference with Dr. Greenspan. And I was sitting there thinking, he's talking about, you know, he's talking about incidental teaching the whole time he was talking about, like, you know, how to 
to do that, how to run the, the floor time session. Um, and later I got to listen to Dr. Huisman and Dr. Skinner. And there's a, um, a recording of them talking somewhere, but I got to listen to it. And um, mm. from there, I moved to Ireland to, because I, I really wanted to be to come back to Botswana and being ready to actually come in because I wouldn't have any supervisors. I wouldn't have right. anybody who would help me out. Um, here you're on your own and you end up sometimes having to do a lot of research in terms of like the clients that you see. So I needed, I wanted a nice background so that I, when I came back to Botswana, I would have all of that experience. So I went to Ireland. Um, and in Ireland, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was really great because um, it was a different culture. So to start mm-hmm. off with, I had to tone down my reinforce, how I did my reinforcing mm. <laughs> in the U.S. We're like, good job. There, it's like, you know, very calm. Good job. <laughs> oh, really? A, a, a really calm social praise. It's a calm social praise. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was really, really amazing to be able to be in that environment and also to learn, because it was a nonprofit that was started by a whole group of parents. So they've got some uh, government funding. And now I think it's fully government funded with a little bit of private uh, donations. But mm. um, I got to be able to liaise with people in government. You know, the, the, you know, the speech therapists will come in. Um, and sometimes like, some of the government officials will come in. And I was able to learn just the systems that uh, made healthcare system within a country run. Mm. So it was, it was a very interesting um, uh, experience. And living in a different country, it was weird coming from the U.S. to there because in my mind, I was still in the U.S. and some of the issues and how, like, and language and everything. And not things, little things like not taking offense of people saying certain words in Ireland was something quite interesting because there was a, you know, some of the older gentlemen would say the girl who is, you know, the, the girl, uh, uh, right. the colored girl. Mm, the the colored girl. Oh wow. Okay. Well, we say it here too for somebody who's biracial. It's I say the colored in Southern Africa. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, it, it, but coming straight from the U.S., it was it was it was interesting. Right. So it was it was great. I was a supervisor, and then I became the 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 director, um, the interim director, uh, of the 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 clinic where I was. Um, oh, and awesome. then I realized coming back to Botswana, I I wanted to get more experience in terms of um private and a government uh you know working more more by myself as a consultant just in case i needed to work by myself and i didn't i couldn't get a job so i moved to dubai and oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> i was continent hopping <laughs> yeah totally in dubai it was very it, it was high paced um it was parents who were very um demanding um, because they were paying a lot of money and they're very, most of them were very rich. So, um, and it's parents from all over the world, um, with different belief structures and different prejudices. So it was very interesting to, to navigate that, you know, you, you had one parent, you know, you, you'd have a parent who had the butler and, you know, two maids, one, um, who is who two nannies one nanny would take care of the child during the day and one nanny in the evening and 
um, something as simple in the U.S. or in Canada as training a nanny, you have to be very conscious of how you train the nanny. Because if a child is crying, for instance, and the function of the behavior is tangible, then it would almost be punishing the, the nanny to tell the nanny to put the child on extinction. Mm. Because if the parents found out the nanny wasn't right there, whole, you know, taking care of the child uh, and right. making sure that they didn't cry, the nanny might lose their job. Mm. Um, and the, the parent involvement wasn't as intensive as in other places. Um, it was mostly train the nanny, you fix it, and that was it, you know? So it, it took quite a bit to be able to get a parent to be more involved in the therapy of the child. Right, right, right. Yeah. Because it, it was mostly the nanny doing the work. It was mostly the nanny doing the, the, the work. Yeah. So, so it was that cultural thing where you had to be conscious of how you were training the nanny to make sure that she didn't lose a livelihood. Mm. Yeah. Or in some cases get hurt, but we're not going to go right. there, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there were basically, there were some strategies you know, that you might have taught a parent, but you couldn't teach those strategies to a nanny because if the nanny used those strategies, then she might lose her job. Yes. Wow. Yeah, and get deported, you know? So. Oh my gosh. It, it's, that, it was that kind, of an ex, that, that kind of an extra responsibility that you had to have. You had to be very uh, flexible in how, not flexible per se, but you had to be very conscious of how you did your programming in terms of the behavior management, if there was any, if running any extinction programming, this is way back then, um, you would have mm -hmm. to do it within a session and then have the nanny come in so that they can then have some instructional control so that once they go home, hopefully mm -hmm. that generalizes to the home situation. Gotcha. Yeah. And there was, uh, you were telling me when we were talking before that you actually had to, like write a task analysis on calling for a butler? <laughs> yeah, um, a task analysis on, uh, yeah, a calling for a driver or a butler. Because like some of the things that, you know, we take for granted that, you know, you need to be able to learn how to drive. Even some adults, they might not necessarily know how to drive. Right. So they have, they will have, they would have a driver. So, uh, you know, a butler to go get Coca-Cola from the fridge downstairs or whatever it is that the child would need it. So that, that's a completely different lifestyle from our regular lifestyle where you do everything for yourself. So you, you need to be able to look at the family's lifestyle and, and see. Obviously, you taught the child to be able to go and get their own Coke. But if it was an expectation within the home situation that the butler gets that. Right. You have to also have to be um, culturally sensitive to, to that. That it is somebody's job. It is somebody's how they live. So. It was constantly being able to remove yourself from the situation and, and thinking like, you know, this child needs to learn, like this child needs to learn how to do these things, but there's also a different way of learning, a, a different way of living. And I need to respect their way of living, however hard it is, but it is socially significant to teach a child to call the butler sure. because within that culture, that is what you do. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. So. Wow. So we're talking 
you've done your you've done your uh, you know your functional assessment or whatever, and you've determined the the function of the behavior is you know say tangible, mm-hmm. and so the the functional communication response is call a butler, <laughs> which, yeah. which I think is just awesome. I I, I would love to get. Uh, uh, Greg Hanley to do the Dubai version of the PFA, and <laughs> instead of the My Way program, it's the Call a Butler program. Oh, that'd be <laughs> wicked. My Way is to call a butler, and the butler will know what I need. Yeah, you call That's the butler, right. and then you can then say, you know, whatever it is that you want, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Um, not meaning that like every single family there was like that, but there were those families who were that way. Sure. And from from Dubai, you know, I from that kind of affluence, I went to South Africa to work in Cape Town. And mm. in Cape Town, it was uh, the polarity there. It was a family that could afford uh, not butler level, but you know that that had maids and you know nannies and um, lived in a very affluent neighborhood, beachfront. And then there was a family that lived in a one-room shack with four or five people with a child with autism. Wow. So just as a, as a, as a person, it was, it was, I had to be very culturally flexible. <laughs> like I, I just created that today. But culturally flexible in that I had to be able to um, code switch from dealing with one family to another family. One family that was quite privileged and the other family that was not so privileged. And, and, and the sad thing in that situation was that the people who first got there to and were quite heard in the, ABA, in the kind of sort of ABA field were people who um, had gone to um, the UK for a month or two months, learned discrete trial training, lovers discrete trial training, went back to you know Cape Town and um, they practiced and they were practicing ABA. You know, and that ABA was most, they, wouldn't say, they said they practiced ABA, but it was more of a holistic approach. So they would have sensory integration, ABA, and they would suggest to these families who are coming from where they actually didn't have anything to eat and tell them that the kids had to be on a gluten-free, casein-free diet. Sorry, you, these are, so you're saying uh, Dan doctors? Yeah, they they followed the Dan Doctor, and the, and that's the that's the the abbreviation for defeat autism now. Is that right? Yes, that is. Yeah. And and so these are doctors that are recommending. I see some of these. Yeah, the, the gluten casein free and all those sorts of things. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it really for me it outlined the need for accreditation. Why there was that? Why there was a need for accreditation? Because a lot of there's a lot of backlash in South Africa about ABA. And it stems mm-hmm. from that, from people who practice ABA, but were not, were not accredited and were not, mm-hmm. uh, you know, certified in any way. You would have children who would go to these services and pay $3,000 a month. Uh, the parents would mortgage their houses, change their whole lifestyle in order to access these services. And the services were, some of them were pretty horrendous. There was uh, I don't know if I can say it. Like they would um, animus it with bleach, you know. Um, yeah. Okay, I can say that. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like uh, it's like uh, the 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 mineral spirit type. Uh, animus, yeah. As, as as a treatment, like as, a bleach enema, as as a treatment for autism, autism right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember hearing about those in 
in yeah in in a few different countries so wow and so they were do- they were they were actively doing those they were actively doing those and there was wow. a huge um uh, when people more 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 people found out thankfully they stopped them but it was it's something that that um people were just taking advantage of parents with children with developmental disabilities and autism mm-hmm. it was that where parents were just trying to get the best that they could for their kids so it was about teaching the parents about evidence-based practices, teaching them about how they can empower themselves and learn more about the science of ABA or whatever it is that works, that actually works and has evidence to back it. Um, so those people who are providing those services created this environment where people now doubt ABA throughout uh, South Africa. And I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so South Africa was very interesting. In that it opened, it further opened my eyes into understanding the situation in Africa and why there was a need for uh, government policies to be developed to make sure that ABA services were taken seriously and taken into the government structures and they were, it was regulated. From there, I moved to Kuwait. To Kuwait? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and so, why did you go to Kuwait? Um, I felt that I just needed a bit more experience. I think it was just a shock. I'm African, I'm I'm a Botswana. I was born in Botswana, raised in Botswana, and then at 18, I moved to the U.S. I think in that nine to ten years that I lived in the U.S., I kind of um, lost my... (laughs) I wasn't as tuned in to the hard realities of Africa. And I grew up in the city in Botswana, and Botswana is a very middle-income country where um, we do have a hardship, but it's not... it's, It's not as... I'm going to say poor as other parts mm-hmm. of Africa. And um, I think that was a shock also to my system. So going to Kuwait was my way of going to also to, because it was, it was a, a really great uh, clinic there that was, um, had great supervision from uh, an organization from the U.S. So it was, it was also nice to get it back in touch with being with peers, you know, being a group of people who are uh, professionals again. And also, I, I realized that I did have some, I needed extra, more experience within the field. Um, and I wanted to get, like, certified to get my BCBA. So I moved to Kuwait. And Kuwait was very interesting. You know, Kuwaitis are really amazing, just really great people. But, it, you know, you, ha- you do have, you know, some of you, you, you know, just very culturally blurring things, like having to walk into a child's home and you get a pat down. <laughs> A pat down <laughs> <laughs> because the person, you know, because the person might be quite high profile and it's a security check, so they pat you oh, down. Okay. That kind, you know, that kind of a thing. So it was um, quite interesting to be able, as a clinician, to walk into a house and have to be searched for weapons. Yeah. Usually, we search our clients for things that they could hurt us with instead of, you know. And I think um, there I realized, because a lot of people were going on to online programs, like ABA, online ABA programs. I know I'm gonna, I am gonna might get pushed back on this one, but um, I realized the, that sometimes some of the programs aren't as rigorous as they should be. Sure. You know, um, so like they need the, which I think the BCP has done a really great job now of trying to fix some of those glitches that people, you know, there, there was, back then there was a, a huge difference between somebody who went to a brick and mortar and an online program. Nowadays, there's 
depending on the program, you can't tell the difference. Uh, but back then, you could kind of tell the difference because you it was online. It wasn't as rigorous, um, and the supervision wasn't as much. So you could kind of tell the difference between that, you know, of people who had gone through online program. Um, and now I think there's a lot more CEUs. There's a lot more content online. The programming has changed quite a bit. But it was interesting to see that side of our field, you know, that that we do, we are a growing profession and we are looking into improving ourselves. Um, and one of the, the biggest thing was, I think, it was where I realized that uh, I think sometimes as BCBAs, we, we go into a situation and sometimes it's a little bit more we dictate. It's like the white coat effect, you know, where, which is, which is very, very um, alive in a lot of the countries outside of the West where parents, if you're the professional parents, whatever you say goes. You know, parents would want for their own language to be used, but there was very few of us who did speak Arabic. So they ended up having to teach their kids English, which is a problem when they go home, their grandparents are speaking to them in Arabic, you know. Coming, like, I speak Setswana and English, and some jokes don't translate very well or certain expressions don't translate very well so i think a lot of our parents felt that like um here are these people coming in from the u.s which i'm you know the company was a u.s company and they're trying to indoctrinate our children and teach them their ways so there was a little bit even in dubai there was a little bit of that pushback of oh these people are trying to indoctrinate our kids in their ways and in their language and you know people felt that little bit of suspicion so more so a recruitment of more therapists in ABA was um we started that recruitment of more people with uh experience in ABA that spoke Arabic make sure that their their needs were represented that um their culture was taken into consideration and that uh we weren't teaching the children something that is you know for for us might be as normal as a boy stands up to pee. If you're planning on collecting continuing education credits for this episode, you'll need to know the three secret words. The first secret word is butler. Oh, I can remember one parent when I first got there and I was doing toilet training saying, we're not animals. We don't stand up and pee. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and to me it had never occurred to me that but it's you know according to her religion you sit down when you pee everything that happens in the bathroom Mm -hmm. is done sitting sitting or squatting which gives you know when you write your task analysis you have to be very careful about you know how you do that you need to be able to talk to uh, the parents and kind of you pass them through it so that they can improve it. Even in, like we, you know, when you do a task analysis, sometimes when you're in the West, you take it for granted that you know the person sits down and they stand up. In you know, you don't need an expert opinion on how to use the toilet because everyone sort of does it the same way in 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 North America. Yeah, yeah. So so in other countries, it's done differently. And it's sort of like, and you know, from there I came to Botswana, and it's same thing in Botswana. Um, toilet training. You do toilet training. It could be in a your standard Western toilet, flushable toilet, or in a pit latrine. Mm. Yeah, 
in the summer and it's hot. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah. um, and that's completely different because in the pit latrine, you know, you follow the regular um, schedule, but usually there's no flushing. Mm. Instead of toilet paper, there might be a newspaper, depending on the needs oh. of the family. So you have to kind of learn how different people go to the bathroom. Wow. Yeah. So there's a, a lot, a lot of cultural differences from place to place, even in just a simple task of using the washroom. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's almost as if, you know, you could almost write a book about <laughs> toilet training across cultures. Yeah. Toilet training around the world. That'd be an amazing book. It would. It really would. <laughs> So coming back to Botswana, there was that. Um, and there was also, you know, moving from writing a Tascanada TA for calling a butler to writing a TA for herding goats. Okay. Tell me more about this, herding goats. I have lots of pictures too. <laughs> with the little kid, like the little baby goats. It's, yeah. But um, I was working, I was consulting for um, an institution that had, um, an organization that had, from about seven years old to technically to about 18, but not really, to a lot older. There's a 45-year-old there. Okay. And um, it was uh, individuals with disabilities. Yep. And living with disabilities. They have a work transitioning program, transition to adulthood program. And one mm. of the learners wanted to get, in Botswana, you can get, grants for different businesses you know you could go get a grant to get goats and you can have your little you know goat farm and head goats and sell them and get milk and all of that good stuff okay so one of the students wanted to do that um, when they left school so i literally had to learn the parents called me and asked me to help them with teaching their child to be able to take care of their goats. So I had to write a task analysis on, you know, in the morning, wake up. I had to go like, you know, spend the whole day there, get there at five in the morning, see how the day goes and write a, a schedule for the day of what they needed to do, uh, which is get up, you know, make their breakfast and bath and then go and let the goats out. Um, and then, you know, follow them out, just make sure that like they, they made sure that the goats were okay. The goats like roam the village a bit, and in the evening, yeah. go out and get the goats to go back into the crawl. That's awesome. So I, I got to play with goats. We have a really great yeah. area. <laughs> That's so cool. It was really was. I loved it. So it was it was things like that. But some of the really amazing things though in in working in Botswana was the place where I consulted. Um, it's a camp hill. It, it they are across the world. And uh, the government had a project for children with autism who are diagnosed with autism, a pilot project to see how they could best meet their needs. And I got there and I had to train people from those who had minimal, if no education, like formal education. So some mm -hmm. could write, but some could make a mark on a piece of paper. Oh, wow. So not, not even reading skills, per se. Yeah. The really amazing thing about them is that their memory skills made up for their lack of being able to read. 
and write. Mm. So they could they could store a lot of information better than you and I, I think, to some extent, because they could remember every single thing that you that I would have said the day before, you know. Oh, cool. Yeah, so they overcompensated for that with just being very good at memorizing things. Yeah, yeah, right on. Yeah, so it was really great. And I I quickly had to go back and improve my Setswana, which is, you know, I'm from Botswana, we speak Setswana. I hadn't been that fluent in Setswana when I went to the U.S., um, so I had to buy a dictionary, like a dictionary all over again, Um I had to reach out to some other like professionals, like clin- uh, clinical psychologists and speech therapists. And like, well, the only speech therapist in Botswana who happens to be my cousin, she was the <laughs> therapist in uh, in government uh, ministry of education. Now there's two. <laughs> oh my gosh! Population of two million, yeah. Um, but it was great. Like, I had to reach out to her in terms of like you know talking to her about like. I cannot do a whole training in Sitsana and I have to now be able to do a whole training in Sitsana. So I, there, there are these words that I need to translate into Sitsana. Ah, I see, I see. And, and so you, you needed people that kind of knew some of the technical language. A little bit, like knew, yeah, knew the technical language. She might, not have, she might have not understood it from a behavior perspective. I had had to explain it to her from a, like a behavioral perspective. And then she would then find the word that was closest to its meaning in Sitsana. Mm. Yeah. So it was like reaching out to collaborate with other professionals who are in the healthcare, you know, professions too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it's, it's still co- that, that whole concept of constantly being aware and conscious of making sure that within your practice you are doing, you know, you know, it's just, um, what's the word for it? Integrity? Like that's the mm-hmm. work that you're doing meets the best um, quality and that you collaborate with other people in other fields because, you know, I'm thrown into Camp Hill. There's no speech therapist. There's no occupational therapist. There's no physical therapist. So, but they come to me for everything. So it's, mm. it's about taking a step back because sometimes it's like, oh, I can write, a, uh, you know, a task analysis for getting that child to be able to you know start to walk you know Mm. but is there something more to them you know not being able to walk and do i need to go out there and look for physical therapists kind of you know collaborate with and then do you know provide the service in the way that i'm collaborating with another professional who is specializing in that particular area when you're thrown into a, a, a country where there's very little uh, services, sometimes you you have to be very, very careful about not going past your scope. That this is, I'm a behavior analyst and this is what I'm trained for. This is a speech, mm-hmm. you know, issue and this is a physical therapy, this is an OT issue. Yeah, so it was it was learning to really, you know, realize that collaboration within a field is extremely important. Sorry? I was just going to say, especially when, you know, the, 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 the consumers are thinking that you're the expert on everything yes, uh, and not just ABA. And so you've got to be able to, you know, you've, you've still got to provide that service, but in order to do that, you got to collaborate with folks from around the country. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Because they, they, you know, they will call you doctor 
you know, they call me Dr. Maucho, and I'm like, I'm not, this is just, please just call uh, me Shrine. Because, because, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's, it's constantly, you know, correcting people. No, 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 not yet. Miss um, Shrine. Um, so it's, it's about making sure you just, you just stay within your scope and sequence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the one thing I realized about, you know, even in Botswana, Kuwait, Dubai, Ireland, US, wherever I was working, I think I said this to you earlier on, um, all, the parents might be different. One parent might have a lot a lot of money and then another parent mm-hmm. might not have that much money. But the one thing that is in common with all these parents and all these different places I worked in is that they just all just wanted the best for their kids. Mm-hmm. That is a theme. That's why they came for the services, you know? Right. That's awesome. And it, it, one other thing that I, I got to kind of think a lot about was the need. I know that the BCBA is kind of trying to stop monitoring ABA across the world. It is a right. It's a huge, huge undertaking that they that they took up. Mm-hmm. But I think one thing that they can do is to literally create a a board or a, a committee that helps people get ABA certified in different countries. Mm, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. And and have they have they done that or I think they've done that in the UK and Australia and a few countries. But it hasn't been. I think it's up to us who are BCBAs in different countries to to reach out because I've tried. I've, I'm in the process of reaching out and asking them to help to certify Botswana as a to, to Botswana to certify ABA as a health profession in South Africa in Southern Africa. ABA or you know early intervention services are not recognized as a medical necessity in by health insurance companies. Okay. Yeah, they say it's if it's developmental, then you know they don't cover it. It has to be a medical oh, issue. Oh, I see, I see, I see. So your goal then is is to basically have the BACB help you, or hopefully help you develop a, a, a Botswana kind of national accreditation in ABA, but as a health profession, so that maybe insurance companies will recognize it? Yes, insurance companies will recognize it, but also if it's recognized that the government can actually sponsor more people in Botswana for ABA, and that the service, there's, there's a certain level of the quality of service of ABA can be somehow regulated by law. You know, because once it's recognized by the Botswana Health Professions, then it is like any other medical uh, profession. Gotcha, and and so there is there is potential for uh, because Botswana does, as you said, is is does have you know is is a little more uh, not rich isn't the right word, but um, you know there there is more more money in Botswana than maybe other countries, and so maybe there'll be some potential government funding for ABA through this. Yes, um, we have free healthcare. Okay, yeah. I mean, if I was in the U.S. and I had cancer. I'm coming back to Botswana. <laughs> gotcha. So it's like Canada. It's like Canada for that. So because yeah. we have the free healthcare as yeah. well. Yeah. Exactly like Canada, you know. And if there's more training in ABA and it's recognized as a health profession, then that means that mm. the government will then have to provide ABA services for people right. for children, you know, for individuals in Botswana. Then there will be a need to train more professionals 
And the way yes. that ABA is structured with, you know, RBT's assistant behavior analyst, behavior analyst is perfect because we have a lot of people who have whole degrees um, in psychology and special education who don't have jobs. If you have a, a degree in psychology, mm. you can't get a job unless you have a master's, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have plenty of those um, young people who might need a bridging course to a different profession if, if it's something that they're interested in. So for me, um, getting more people certified in ABA and Botswana is something that, I went, that I'm working towards. But it's become a bit more difficult because of the BCBA not certifying. So I think mm. in all, every single country that, I, that I've worked in before this, the only country, Ireland, I think, is... Ireland and Dubai are working towards certification and standardization mm-hmm. of ABA. Dubai, I think, is a lot closer than, yeah, is, is one of the, lo- the most closest ones because I think the healthcare, healthcare city, that's where they certified a lot of their health professionals, is now looking at, like, you can't practice ABA without being a BCBA. Right, right, right. So they're a lot further on in terms of that. So it's, it's, it's something that, that we need to be looking at. Another really great thing in Botswana is that if you're, a BC, if you're a healthcare professional, when you come back to Botswana, let's say, you know, for me, I was in the U.S. and I came back to Botswana. So in Botswana, because ABA kind of sort of doesn't fall in education, but falls closer to psychology, mm-hmm. I'm a certified clinical psychologist. Oh, you are? Okay. I, I, didn't, I did ABA, but I'm a certified clinical psychologist. In, in Botswana, you're recognized as that, yeah. Because if you have educational psychology, you, you have industrial psychology, the only certification that they, that regulation is clinical psychology. So okay. they just put all of us in there, you know. Right. I, there's certain things that I can't do as a, you know, I can't do, you know, diagnostic testing. You know, I can't do mm. any of that stuff because um, it doesn't fall within our, our scope. But in Bozona, technically, because I'm a clinical psychologist, I could do that if I wasn't, you know, looking at my, what you call it, the, the, you know, what I can do as a professional, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so even though maybe a diagnostic assessment isn't in your, isn't in your kind of scope, Botswana would still let you do autism diagnoses. Yeah. Yeah. Because they don't know the difference. Because they don't know the difference. Everybody's a clinical psychologist. Right. If you've done your master's in anything psychology-related, you're a clinical right. psychologist, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Are there people doing diagnostic services in Botswana? Botswana, it's... Yes. Botswana, it's a... We're low-resourced. Back in the 90s, a lot of people my age were... The late 90s were sent to the U.S., to with scholarships to the US, the UK, Canada, Australia, um, a little bit of New Zealand to go and study and mm. then possibly come back to Botswana to practice. Mm. A lot of them, I think at the time in the US, the US embassy had it at 97% of Botswana came back. Okay. But then, you know, it's very frustrating to come back after you've seen things that it's, it's nice and easy to practice and Trust me, it's nice and easy to practice in the UK and in the US and in Canada. I mean, back here, mm-hmm. there's like you, it's the road never traveled. You have to, mm-hmm. you pretty much are the founder of whatever career. Most of, most of us back then were the founders of our careers. 
Wow. Some people went back. Yeah, yeah. So we do have some people who, like myself, who came back and we were staying and practicing. Um, and then you do have people who went back. So like I was saying earlier on, um, there's one speech, ther- there was, there's only two speech therapists in the Ministry of Education. There's one occupational therapist and she's not mm. even practicing because she's at a director level. I think there's six mm. or so educational psychologists in the whole ministry. Wow. And this is two mil- a population, what, two million you said? Botswana? Or? Yeah. There are those who are private. There's, there's a, a, quite a few private therapists, but private means out-of-pocket pay. Right. Yeah, and out-of-pocket pay is not affordable to your regular Botswana. Mm. So you, it's almost as if, like, in order to function as a BCBA within um, certain situations, such as, such, you know, in, in certain countries outside of, you know, a more developed country. Developed meaning, you know, the systems already, a lot of the systems already in place. They might not be perfect, but they're already in place. Here, it's almost as if you need uh, training on, you know, cultural humility or cultural sensitivity, where you understand and aware of the culture of the people and you're Mm -hmm. able to you know code switch and be able to know and um, have empathy for the people that you're working with and know what their needs are we need training in that and we also need training in you know we need some level of training in uh, policy development and understanding policies and systems yeah yeah exactly there's a lot a lot of that uh sort of bureaucratic stuff you got to be able to do too. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think in the U.S. there's uh, trainings on, you know, billing. You have the CEUs on billing or, you know, um, mm-hmm. law mm-hmm. there. It's on the law and what the, I think, is it idea? Yeah. The disabilities law, what it entails. Yeah. Yep. I think when you come back to your country, you also have to find some level of, understanding of what are the laws, what are the policies that are available and the different cultures. Because I think the biggest one is culture. Mm-hmm. Because in, just in Botswana, 2 million people, there's 33 distinct languages that are spoken in Botswana. Thir- 33 languages. Well, there's two official languages, but <laughs> yeah, 33 distinct languages, I think the last time I checked. And some of the languages might be spoken by 20 or 30 people, but sure, it's it's yeah. complete language um, because we have nomads. We have the Basara who are, they are nomads who live in the desert. So mm. there might be that small little group of people who speak that language. Yeah. And so with language comes cultural intricacies, mm-hmm. you know, and different social skills that you, that you have to be aware of. It's funny how people would always go on and on about eye contact. Like you have to teach mm-hmm. eye contact. And there's this obsession in the West about teaching eye contact. And I can yep. barely do like, like proper eye contact. I think when we were Zooming, I don't know if you noticed. Like I would look at you, but I really wouldn't look at you that much because it's disrespectful to give full-on eye contact. Mm. Yeah. So, so if anything, you're teaching kids not to make eye contact. Well, you're teaching them to give a, a certain level of eye contact. Like, you know, right. just that little flicker is enough. It's, it's okay. Yep. You know, I grew yep. up when I looked at an adult straight in the face, I would get screamed at because I'm being sassy. I'm, you know, I'm being ah. impolite, you know? The second secret word is goats. 
So and so, do I want do adults look at each other straight in the face, or is it was that just was that just a child adult dynamic? You know, I've I've kind of observed adults, and they do they do, but when they're peers, like when they're kind of in the same age range, they they do kind of give each other like traditionally they do give each other like full on eye contact, but when I talk to somebody who's older than me it's sometimes a bit of a struggle to kind of look them straight in the eye because I feel like I'm being rude and disrespectful. It's how the culture is. It's those little cultural things that you, you have to take into consideration. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. So yeah, this is interesting. The, uh, I, I think it's awesome that over here in North America, we're starting to, you know, do more learning around, you know, cultural sensitivity and cultural humility and, and sort of those sorts of pieces. Um, but, you know, I, I think folks would be surprised to think, to realize how much, how much of that training you even need in Botswana with 33 languages and so many different kinds of folks. Yeah. It's, it's funny, like, as we're talking right now, I, I remember one of the, I'll say RBTs in, in a school in Ireland was once upset with me because I wasn't giving her eye contact. And she was like, why mm. aren't you looking me in the eye? And I'm mm. like, you know, I, I, and I was trying to explain to her because I feel it's rude. And she's like, no, if you don't look me in the eye, it's actually rude. It's like you're being deceitful. You're hiding something. Mm. It was hard. <laughs> it, it was, it was a, a bit of a struggle because it was something that I actually then realized that it was something that socially I had grown up kind of learning. And then right yep. there, she was teaching, she was kind of teaching me that um, you have to give eye contact. It's important you give eye contact because this is how we view it. Right, right, right. I, I wanted to kind of go back to a comment you made a couple times use, uh, around code switching. This is a term that, that uh, is, is new to me. I, I mean, I, I've been hearing a lot about it you know, over here as it relates to, you know, the, the Black Lives Matter and, and, uh, and, and racism and sort of those pieces and how folks kind of have to, and, and, and forgive me if I'm butchering this, but essentially uh, black folk have to sort of do this code switching where they essentially change how they interact with um, white folk or other folk versus when they interact with each other, right? Yeah. It's colonialism, you know, like colonialism and then uh, apartheid. Yep. Because I, I, I grew up going to South Africa um, during the apartheid era. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I remember I had a, um, a little friend who was, I think, of British descent mm -hmm. and going to the border. And at the border, we had to be in one line for Africans and then they had to be in that. She had to, and we didn't understand. Mm. Yeah, because <laughs> we were so young, you know, eight, nine, ten years old. Yeah. So um, they had to be in their line. We had to be in our line once we crossed over to South Africa, you know. And then being in South Africa, it was weird. We were a different type of black because we're like not South African black. Okay, and and, and what and what's the difference there, as far as they're concerned? As far as we were as they were concerned, we were from Botswana, right? Which was a pain uh, for them because it was a country that was only. Uh, black run mm. and it was in the 80s it was the fastest growing economy in the world mm. uh, we had diamonds 
And we had diamonds. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> we have diamonds. <laughs> uh, so, so it was quite a successful country. Peaceful trans, um, transfer of power, fair elections and everything. And they're trying to say that you can't let these people govern themselves. So we were a different type of, of black in a way. Mm. My father, you know, our family would go buy groceries in South Africa, you know, 30 minutes. It's like 30 minutes to the border and then about oh. 45 minutes to the to the nearest town. Okay. So we'd go buy our groceries there because we're landlocked. So some things we can't find here. Gotcha. And uh, we would get there and they would want my dad to go in to buy food for us, like snacks mm. and stuff. Instead of being served at the window. Mm. Yeah. And I remember my father refusing and saying, well, I'm still black. I'm going to get served at the window, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was very, you know, I think they didn't like that. (laughs) So, sorry. So, in in South Africa, blacks weren't allowed to go in the stores? Yeah, they they still had... um, Places like like drinking water, there was a tap for black people and a tap for white people. Oh, wow. In some restaurants you couldn't go into. Some places, like 45 an hour when you get into South Africa, you still have that mm-hmm. where when you, if you go in and you're black, they make you feel like you don't belong there. Like still today? Still today. Wow. But I'm from Botswana, so I'm vocal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. My sister-in-law, my, my cousin's um, wife, um, is South African, and she always says, you know, she always says to, 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 to us, being from Botswana, that um, you guys are different. You go into South Africa, and you're just confident. And you carry a certain level of confidence, and you talk to people, and if people, somebody does something wrong, you say it. It doesn't matter if mm-hmm. they're, you know, black or white, you just say it. In South Africa, there's still, you know, there's still a little bit of fear Mm-hmm. that is still there that is still from the apartheid era sure um there's still a little bit of dif- difference is that the word yeah yeah um that is still kind of there and that is why representation matters a lot mm-hmm. um because the more people see people who represent who look like them the more they're able to be more confident about who they are and what the possibilities are yeah yeah so the whole, so racism is still pretty strong there. It is. Yeah. I mean, Cape Town, is it three years ago? Even in Botswana, we still do have that because if you go to the north of the country where it's, there's a lot of tourism there, um, mm-hmm. there's some places that um, I think once apartheid kind of ended, some of this uh, white South Africans moved to Botswana mm-hmm. because they thought everything was going to go crazy. So they moved here, right. and a lot of them are in the tourism business. And sometimes just me calling up and saying, hey, do you have a room? I'm driving up into, you know, the village, and I'd like, you know, a room, or you want to do mm-hmm. a safari. Them hearing me and my accent, they there won't be a room. They, they won't help you, or they... They will say that there's no room to... There's no hotel oh, room. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. And... You know, Cape Town went there, was by the gate. I asked, can we get a reservation for breakfast? I was with my uh, partner, who's uh, Lebanese. And mm-hmm. I said, um, you know, could I get, I'd like to have, you know, breakfast. Is there, do you have a table? And they said, no, there's no table. 
And I said to him, you ask. We, we walked away and then I said, you know, it's only because I asked. <laughs> and I said, right, right, and he's right. Like, no, it's not. And I said, okay, let's go back. So it's been a couple of minutes. Let's go back. You ask. So I, I stood back and then he spoke into the intercom and there was a table available. And we said, no, oh thank you. I walked away. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good for you. Wow. Yeah. It's still quite prevalent. Yeah. Is it like the US where you're actually like, like, fearful of your lives like is and and like and like are, are the are the police you know a, a big trouble and that sort of thing i know the police are mostly black ah i i know i don't think the police are that much of a problem it's just mm. mere simple corruption <laughs> Right. Simple corruption. Simple corruption. Where somebody asks for a bribe here and there. Um, right. so, but it's never really uh, race related. I'm not going to speak right. for... There is some, you know, pushback for the apartheid years, I think, sometimes. Right. Where um, somebody, you know, mistreats somebody because of their skin color, because of the apartheid, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. You, you sometimes do hear that. But it's not mm-hmm. like it's not something that is very very common. Crime in yeah. South Africa is against. It's an economic thing. It's not a race thing. Mm. Gotcha. So you're not you're 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 not you're not fearful for your life walking down the street. Oh, in South Africa, yeah, you are because of oh, you crime. are yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, just because of good old crime. It's got nothing to do with racism, though. It's just uh, I see. Good gotcha. old crime. It's not. It's just. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, it's okay. both races will better you. It's it's pretty much right. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it used to be that they would murder you, but nowadays the house breakings they realize that if we murder you, we can't come. You know, they're investing. They they're saying that they're mm. investing in the future, so they don't murder you. They let you live because they know they can always come back and after six months, and you would have bought new stuff. <laughs> Another, another uh, gap. Yeah. Earlier on, we spoke about um, that in Southern Africa, they, they have this thing where people are certified because people come in from different countries. Right. Yeah. And they give talks and they certify you in different things, uh, whereas they're not really um, qualified to be doing that, which is, yeah, I think we spoke about mm. that earlier on. Yeah. And then you were, you were talking about... Um the the whole sort of uh bqa yeah Botswana quality assurance so in order for me to teach the uh rbt courses in Botswana mm-hmm. to certify people outside of you know whatever organization that i'm working with mm-hmm. or i need to be bqa accredited and the rbt course has to go through the rigor it's a pretty rigorous uh process of being certified and accredited as a course, being trained by professionals who are experts within the field that they are teaching that particular course. Mm. Yeah. And why is that needed? Well, it's needed because we were getting people from mostly, you know, the West who are coming in, uh, even, you know, from Asia who are coming in Mm. and teaching things and saying, you know, I'm the expert in ABC, taking advantage of the mm. colonialism and coming right. and teaching something that they were not experts in, nor do they hold any qualification in, and say, and teaching that particular thing. And then, you know, charging people exorbitant amount of money 
So for instance, if I were to do an IBT course and it was somebody coming in from, you know, the US or whatever, it might end up being about a thousand dollars uh for the five day, you know, training, you know? Yeah. Which is quite a lot of money here, you know. But people do pay for it. We'll pay for it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it is a lot of money that somebody is just going to throw on a a course that somebody's actually not an expert in, you know? So they're trying to make it make sure that there is a body that certifies and make sure that whoever comes to do a training is certified in whatever it is that they are going to be training and that the course material has been vetted to make sure that it's quality training. And there is one in the whole of Southern Africa. We have a an organization called Southern African Development Community, SADC. Okay. And SADC is about eleven countries. And each of those countries has their its own qualification authority that vets people and makes sure that their qualifications are what they say they are. And so with uh, the colonialism piece, so is that just an issue in South Africa or is that something everywhere? The third secret word is culture. I think it's 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 Africa wide, but it is a huge issue in Southern Africa. In Botswana, somebody, you know, somebody could come who's British or you know, white South African, um, who can come to Botswana and say I'm a BCBA. Nobody mm-hmm. will check their uh, credentials, mm-hmm. but they'll go to them instead of me mm. because of the privilege, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is a an issue that yeah 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 and so that's a part of the reason why you're working towards accreditation and all these other policy changes to sort of regulate that a bit better yeah it it helps to regulate that a bit better it makes sure that like um our parents uncheated because i feel Mm -hmm. a parent paying you know three to six thousand dollars a month in africa is just Anywhere actually is is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. I couldn't afford it. I don't know if you could afford paying three to six thousand dollars a month. No, of course not. For ABA services, early intervention that might last a year or ten years. No, no. I mean, yeah. It's unaffordable. Yeah, and a lot of people like mortgage their houses and and everything in order to pay that for their child because their motivation mm. for them is that they just want their child to have a better life, you know? Sure. So it, it's actually, you know, it's it's very difficult as a professional here. For me, I find myself sometimes, you know, I have had to hire somebody else to do all of my billing mm. because I literally find it almost impossible to put a charge on my service knowing what it means to that family. Mm. So so are you are you, are you making a living? Barely. <laughs> huh. Yeah. Yeah, barely. I mean there's only so few families that can afford the services. Yeah. Um so most of uh, the money that I I do make is if government calls me in for a training and those are far between, right. you know. So it's 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 tough. It's it's tough. I could throw in the towel and move to the U.S. tomorrow. But my motivation mm-hmm. here is I went to school in order to come and help my, my country. That's awesome. I mean, I'm, I'm not married. I don't have kids. 
And so my motivation is purely to help. I do a lot of yeah. voluntary work, you know, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Like it's building a whole profession. Yeah, it really is. I mean, and are you, and like, am I right that you're maybe the first BCBA in Africa? Is that, is that correct? Or you see, I, I'm not hundred percent sure because they, I think there was somebody in Nigeria, but I don't know if they were in Nigeria, but I remember mm. a friend of mine sending me a message and say, she, I just attended a talk several years, years ago. And she said, the only BCBA that was being, uh, that was shown in Africa was me in Botswana. Mm. Yeah. So, and that was really and funny. I, yeah. And has that changed? Are there, are there more now? Um, I think there could be maybe it's under 20, 10 or so oh. for a population of over 300 million. Wait, yeah, three to 400, yeah, million. And there's maybe 10 BCBAs in all of Africa. Well, wow. yeah. And so, do, do you have any uh, interns right now that you're sort of supervising or? I do. Um, I have about five people that I'm supervising. And I've also applied to, you know, the Saba grant mm -hmm. to train more people in the certification of ABA so that like Perfect. when I go to the authorities, I can justify it by saying, here are people that I trained. This is like, and use the data to show them that it is a science that is quite rigorous and also mm -hmm. effective and shows results. Mm -hmm. So I've applied mm -hmm. for, for that. Also, there's the project that I did in uh, the pilot project that, you know, I think we had the little ones, the, the young kids we had about in the program, there was like 12 children in the program and they were receiving an hour, a one-to-one -one a day. So far, yeah. I think four of them, of the 12, are in special needs schools and have mm. positioned into regular classrooms. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that's pretty amazing for just an hour a day. It is pretty amazing. And for me, it was sort of like, wow, anything matters. But any little thing, you know, any little amount of, you know, ABA services matters. It makes a difference. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might have taken two years to get them to that level, but it matters. Mm -hmm. And also, like when we started off, it was quite, you know, quite rigorous, like making sure that people in the classrooms did, you know, skills assessments and then, you know, their IEPs were in line with uh, the VB map. The school is not an ABA school, but mm -hmm. um, they are using quite a lot of, you know, the trainings that I did when I was there, you know, operationally defining and then taking data and then, you know, making sure that that data is, that they were able to analyze and make changes according to how, what the data says. So they, they, it, mm -hmm. it, it shows that there is a lot of, you know, usefulness for ABA, but I wanted a more controlled study with proper certification, with the, you know, RBT certification that shows that this can work within the Botswana yeah. context. Yeah. Totally. And are, are you looking to maybe do some kind of that, some of that research? Yes. I'm getting help from, Lukia Sami. Yes. <laughs> She's amazing. Um, um University of Houston Clear Lake or Clearwater. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. She's helping me with writing up and we've written up the proposal and we sent it to the BCBA board. And we're hoping mm. that get just a little bit of funding that is just to fund 
the actual training. So it'll be five-day RBT training that I'll donate my time to do for teachers, mm -hmm. special education unit. So teachers and assistant teachers. So about five. And then mm -hmm. also a speech therapist, occupational therapist, and two educational psychologists and a parent. So that like those 10 people, like we... They go through the ABA training and then we uh, we do BST with them. We we went around saying, what exactly are we going to teach? To teach? Because she said, when you get professional, sometimes when they get stuck, they go back to the initial training and they draw from there. And then it just doesn't go very well. Um, so we chose functional communication training or man's training. Yeah, so that's cool that you're 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 doing some work with uh, Lukia and uh, and try to kind of build capacity in, in Botswana and um, you know really kind of kind of pushing forward on that piece, which is awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome to just kind of first be present information to Ministry of Health and Education to say here here's ABA. Here's a, you know, this is six months. This is um, what we've gotten for our students. Um, we would like to get it accredited and have evidence, you know, to show its efficacy. But that would be really great. I mean, there's the students who've done masters in edu in uh, special education and counseling psychology who don't have jobs. And mm -hmm. if we can have, you know, because it'll be what's on a five course sequence and we could get some funding or something where we have BCBAs in, in the U.S. who supervise them. We get funding from government to pay for their supervision mm -hmm. as they're working with kids. You know, that would be mm -hmm. awesome so that then they're certified at a master's level and then mm -hmm. trained at all levels. You can train at the, you know, at the RBT level and then those with degrees, we can train them to have GBS and behavior analysts and then have those with master's to be trained as behavior analysts. And PhDs, yeah. And so, are you looking to develop a, a, like an actual course sequence in Botswana, or are you just having folks do online programs or whatever? I'm looking to develop an, a course sequence in Botswana, and I'd love to partner up with online programs because mm. the government used to be able to sponsor and send somebody to, to the US, mm -hmm. but now because of money constraints, they would yep. rather pay for somebody if there was some an institute in Botswana that is offering that that they would rather pay for that person while they're in Botswana to do, mm -hmm. you know, that training. So yeah. I'd love to collaborate with a university or something to bring a BCABA and a BCBA course sequence to Botswana. And it's, Botswana right. is like a lot of people from Africa trust Botswana and they want to come to Botswana because it's a lot safer than most parts of Africa and it's a lot more comfortable. And hey, I'm hopefully getting... Um, I had the guys come in today. The guys were coming in today to get like, you know, fiber internet. <laughs> Ooh. And they're doing, trying to get it across Botswana. That's uh, what yes. I was, Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot more easier to be able to have people who do the course sequence in there to do the teaching sequence in the U.S. and yeah. are able to do it. So that's, that's my dream to just get ABA totally. throughout Botswana. Totally. Yeah. And, and, and I, pre I presume you have universities in Botswana where you could potentially do that? Yeah, yes, we do have universities in Botswana uh, where yeah, we could potentially yeah. do that. But I, I've worked for myself so long that I'd just like to do an institute. 
created this yeah, absolutely there's always that like if you go into a bigger university that's more established what you then get there's the bureaucracy um the fighting the the big heads fighting with each other and all of that mm-hmm. so i mm-hmm. i so I'd rather partner with a newer university and kind of start things that way with collaboration with the university in the U.S. That would be my dream. Yeah, that makes sense. And there's funding right now through government to actually set something institute up. So I suppose if you're going for eventually your own mm-hmm. national accreditation, that would be, yes. you know, eventually it'd be separate from the BACB because they don't want to, you know, mm-hmm. uh, coordinate that. You wouldn't necessarily have to use the the same verified course sequence, would you? Not necessarily, but it's like you would have. I'd have, I would definitely have to add in one or two different extra yeah. courses. But um, yeah. I would want to use the BCBA course sequence so that it's already developed. Right. We already have people on the ground who have some level of training and you know like how they we yeah. there was a time where there was a lot of onboarding of different professionals into aba so there was a five course sequence and then there was and then we moved to it being a master's and then you know uh these mm-hmm. abas could have a degree in certain courses and then then eventually they had to have their degree in aba mm-hmm. so i'd like something like that where we set like a three-year process of trying to onboard people into a certification program with proper supervision and everything, and then start having a master's and a degree in ABA. And they have different certification according to the level of their training. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I suppose there's the potential here to, once you start building capacity in Botswana, which I think is your goal here, is just to sort of make it, so you don't have to do everything. Um, <laughs> uh, there, there might be some potential to maybe even replicate this in other African countries even? Yes, yes. Because it, because of the Southern African Development Community, SADC, once uh, I developed yeah. the institute in Botswana and it is verified and it has some uh, like level of integrity because of mm-hmm. association with the BCBA, then yeah. what can happen is... Once it's accredited in Botswana, it's easy to accredit it in Namibia and, and South Africa and 11 countries in Southern Africa and beyond right. that. So like setting up a program in Botswana, it's actually pretty nice because you can set it up in Botswana and then start to, Botswana could be your satellite and then you mm-hmm. set up others outside of Botswana easier because the laws in Botswana right. are a lot easier and the taxes are easier and all of that good stuff. If you get your fancy fiber optic network, then you can start to do things via telehealth too, I suppose. Yes, which is really awesome. And then also, you know, in Botswana, you you could be in the city and like a, you know, an hour and a half flight and you're, you know, you're in the north where traffic jams are because elephants are crossing the road. (laughs) And (laughs) really wild elephants too, not like you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's really cool. Uh, you know, I, I, you're, you're just doing so many really cool things and kind of, you know, essentially a, a pioneer over there in, in, mm-hmm. in the work you're doing. And, and I'm so, I mean, it's, it's amazing all the stuff you're doing, but I think what's most amazing is that you've had opportunities to kind of go back to America and work. Um, lots of people want you, and you could probably even go back to Ireland or any of those countries if you wanted, but that you want to sort of 
push forward and develop this in your own country. And I think that's just so awesome and so cool. Um, and uh, I guess it pro- the, the, I was wondering, actually, from when we were talking earlier, does it help uh, that you know the president? <laughs> well, <laughs> have, have you made that call? Have, have, you, have you played the president card yet? Have I pulled those strings? Maybe uh, I think at this point might be a good time to wrap it up as uh, yeah. as the African internet system fails. Um, and no, the Canadian. Uh, Mine has been consistent. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Here we go. Uh, this is my issue. Uh, <laughs> I lived in the U.S. I can say a boot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. It, it, it's really been a pleasure chatting with you. Uh, and I definitely want to do this again when you have better internet. Yeah. And I have better internet. I'm hoping to get some fiber optics one day on good old Texada Island too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it's it just been really cool to kind of hear your perspective, not only on all the cool things you're doing in Botswana and in Africa, mm-hmm. but your your journey around the world and your experiences, um, you know, sort of switching from culture to culture and really being able to sort of adapt to each culture and, and, and change your behavior. I mean, you've, you've just got, you've got so much cool stuff to share. Yeah. I, I just think it's, it's, it's all really amazing and really impressive. And so I'm looking forward to kind of following your work and watching the development and, and, and watching kind of how things grow um, over there, uh, over the, over the next few years, just, just really impressive. And I just wanted to thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.